and welcome to the Fleet Geeks podcast. We're here to help develop fleet and transport professionals. Do you want to progress and develop your skills and knowledge? We promise to bring lively conversation and debate around interesting issues and keep you bang up to date with changes in our awesome industry. The Fleet Geeks are a community of professionals and if you enjoy the podcast, why not join the discussion for free in the Fleet Geek community over on Facebook. Trying to work out what left and right is to put my headphones on. That's what uh, it is, folks. <laughs> literally, literally, Mike's biting his tongue with his tongue out, looking at his fingers to see which one says which Ellen, one Ellen. Which one? Yeah, yeah, we got oh, that. Left and right. Uh, cool. So we're here to talk about financial standing. Um, and uh, I guess this is part of one of the modules for the Transport Manager CPC qualifications. But uh, let's talk a bit about financial standing because I think it's an interesting concept, yeah. particularly... I hear a lot of challenge about it because so many vehicles these days are on contract maintenance. Yes. Um, and and is, it, is it really required? So let's start, first of all, with what, what is financial standing and how much is the financial standing? So... And it varies depending on operating yeah, license. Yeah. So why is that? Why is it? Why have we got? Fi- what is it? Fi- what? Why do we? Why does the the, tra- the the traffic commissioner need to see uh, evidence that you have what they call financial standing? What does it do? Uh, it's not. A, you know, a lot of people come into it initially thinking it's come some sort of deposit scheme, uh, whereby you have to go and actually deposit pound notes on the traffic commissioner's desk and um, uh, and and say so they go look after that for me until I need it. It's not a question of that. What the uh, what the traffic commission is looking for um, is, is is looking for you to have funds available to draw down on to meet your um, obligations when it comes to vehicle maintenance. So if you think about it, the the things that you um, could possibly, if if times were a bit tight, maybe I don't know, um, you have a couple of clients that are not paying as quickly as they should, or you've had a few, uh, you know, expenses that you weren't expecting. If times are tight and cash flow is limited, um, you know, you might consider not paying your drivers. Well, they're not going to turn up if you don't pay them. Uh, you might consider not paying your fuel bill. Well, good luck with that because you can't get credit on fuel. The best you can hope for is to get a, a fuel card. You know, most fuel companies have seven day, uh, some even want money up front if you're getting a lot of fuel off them. So, you know, that's not an option. So the other area that you could look to is maintenance. And if you're going to skip a little bit of maintenance, because maybe, you know, that that inspection that's just about to become due, you might think, well, there's nothing wrong with that, Laurie. And I know every time it goes in for an ex- inspection, like it comes out with a big bill. I-, I could skip that until next time. So what they want you, they what they want to be assured, what they need to see is that you you you're you have something behind you, have some 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 cash behind you that you're not relying on on that. Now in 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 accountancy terms, it's the it's the it's the it's the company the business is working capital. It's it's money that it's got on an you know a day to day basis um, available to it to draw down on at short notice without having to sell off a family silver. So that that's what we look for. But of course, working capital um, would only be calculated on a on an existing business, a business that had been trading and had got a set of accounts where you could look at the, the balance sheet and see the working capital. So I guess the challenges around uh, financial standing would be if that working capital doesn't meet the financial standings and if or on a new account, a new business, a new company wouldn't have those accounts. So they'd have to uh, evidence financial standing in a different way. So it is challenging, Pete, though, for, uh, you know, a smallish operator. It's challenging for a big operator, but for, a, you know, somebody starting off in life, 
having to buy a vehicle or you know lease a vehicle or whatever it's 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 difficult isn't it to for them absolutely, to meet that absolutely. what what challenges do you see out there with a, a smaller uh, operator yeah absolutely i think um it, it's 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 a it's, it's a large amount of money to start with so um just sort of putting that out there from a restricted operator point of view it's what 3100 yeah for each Initial for the first vehicle, vehicle yeah. And sub- subsequent. <laughs> subsequent vehicles. Subsequent, by the subsequent, way. But subsequent, yeah. it's a bit of an in-joke. And yes. You have to listen to past episodes. Yeah. Uh, subsequent um, is, uh, is it 1,700 for a restricted? 1,700, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then and then with a Just national, with a national and international, um, you're looking at 4,500 for an initial. Uh, 8,000 uh, for the initial. 8,000 for the initial and 4,500 for subsequent yeah. uh, vehicles there. Uh, and, uh, and if you're running uh, authorised light goods vehicle, which is now the oh, case, yes, 1,600 quid for the first one or yeah. 800 for subsequent. Uh, <laughs> everyone's yeah. going to be saying subsequent there. Yeah. Uh, subsequent uh, vehicles. light goods vehicles. So uh, potentially it's a significant sum of money. Um I'll, I'll do it on 11 vehicles because oh, it's you easy, made it all, it's easy yeah, to it calculate. Is nine, yeah, that is. So yeah. that's 45 grand for nine vehicles, uh, for the first that's, 10 vehicles. I've sorry. got a calculator, Pete's done yeah, that. Yeah, I'm head. doing it in my head. So 45 for the 10 vehicles, and yeah. then that 11th vehicle. Uh, is another eight grand, which makes uh, fifty three grand. Fifty three thousand for eleven quid. vehicles. It's a lot of dough, isn't it? Yeah, that is, isn't it? When you and that's that's eleven vehicles. So and and that's, that's the, prohibitive, that, isn't it? To yeah, have it that is. level of cash just sat around. And the other thing that uh, that, that that probably um, you know grinds a few gears is that that's actually on your authorized amount, not on yes. your specified amount. So uh, if you have, uh, you, you know, most operators will want to maintain a margin. The difference between the authorised and the specified, so that there's a little bit of wiggle room, so that you can expand, um, and and you know, so you may not have these vehicles; they may be just theoretical vehicles. But if you've got them authorised on your license, you need the financial standing to Absolutely. to back it up. So that is a lot of money, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a heck of a lot of money uh, for what is not a massive operation. You know, eleven vehicles. Yeah. Isn't, so I've got a few, I've got a few challenges with it, and I don't I don't know the answer, and I don't know if there is an answer. But why, why do restricted operators need to have less financial standing? Yeah, and I understand the light goods vehicles because, strictly speaking, they're probably cheaper to repair, cheaper to repair, you know, and less expensive parts less. And, and what have you. But yeah, why? Well, essentially, a restricted operator could be running exactly the same bit of kit. Uh, yeah, as a as a national operator, uh, yeah. I always and there's it, significant difference. Different. It is a big difference, and I always say to people on uh, OLAC courses and the like that. Um, you know, do, you know, you never judge a restricted license as being the poor relation because it isn't. If I'm crossing the road as a punter, you know, I'm out there crossing the road and I've got two trucks coming towards me, I don't give a flying hoop what what um, operator's license disc is in the window. I couldn't care less what colour operator's license is disc in the window. I, I just want that vehicle to be able to stop because it's not going to fall apart um, and the brakes are going to work and the tyres are not going to burst. I want the driver to be qualified and not drunk and be able to see me and uh, you know I want the load to stay where it is on the vehicle. I'm not interested in what operator's license is in the window. Hi, it's Pete from Flagship Partners. We're really proud to sponsor the Fleet Geeks podcast. Flagship Partners offer a range of consultancy and training services to ensure that our customers remain compliant and have the best possible knowledge to be able to fulfil their work. If you're interested in support with any of our safety, HR or compliance services, or you want to train to be a transport manager or need driver CPC training, give us a call today. 
So I've, I've often wondered myself, to be fair, um, why the difference. The only thing, the only rationale I can put on it is that um, for a standard national or a standard international license, of course, you are carrying out the business of like a haulier. Um, you know, you, the service that you're selling is a commercial. So you're moving other people's goods from A to B. So the more goods that you can move from A to B, the more money you're going to generate. So therefore, the pressure is on commercially, whereas a restricted operator is essentially moving their own goods. So, um, you know, there's less commercial pressure. I'm guessing that would be the only reason I can think of why there would be such a difference, though. I don't Do know. Do you know what? Oh, that's the best explanation I've ever had. Well, Mike. Do you know what? Because some, you know, I, I hide my light under a bushel sometimes, but that's because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a reasonably successful transport manager trainer. <laughs> yeah. And once upon a time, fleet manager of the year as well. Oh, no, so I, I, I never mentioned, never mentioned that. It. Yeah, yeah. So I can walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Because <laughs> 2016, folks, fleet manager of the year. You know. I've asked that question about the disparity many times and never never had an explanation. So there you have it. Uh, and I understand that. That's about the conflict of interest when it comes to maintaining yeah, vehicles yeah. when uh, when you're carrying out work for hire and reward. So yeah, very interesting. But nonetheless, nonetheless, I guess I guess we need to see the financial standing as like a level of security, isn't it, for the uh, uh, for the TC demonstrating that uh, operators can meet. Meet the requirements. Yeah, level of reassurance. You but know. are we? Are we? Um, are we dealing with potentially a dated system in that now a lot of these vehicles yes. are now uh, you know on a contract yeah, maintenance? Yes. What do you think? There, there, are, there are many cases in law in in, a, in the road transport sector where law the law hasn't kept pace with technology. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's lots and lots of areas where you could, you could, uh, you know, you could, you could evidence that, isn't there? Drivers' hours and all sorts of things like that. But and I think that's probably one of them. If somebody says, "Look, the only way I can, I want to buy, you know, I need a 2016 plus vehicle because otherwise I'm never going to get into all these cities and towns that keep cropping up with these uh, low emission zone stuff." So, you know, I'm going to have to buy myself a fairly new vehicle. They're very, very expensive to buy. Um, so the only alternative I've got really is to look at a contract hire agreement um, because that will get me the newest possible vehicle for my for my meagre budget. So um, then when I go to get a contract hire, I'm going to be tempted by uh, a, a vehicle that has come comes with we used to call it SMR service maintenance and repair. Um, so, you know, I'm not actually going to fork out for the maintenance. It's not going to be me who pays for the maintenance. So therefore, what, what, why do I need to, you know, surely the, the financial standing is in, in, encompassed in that rental agreement or that hire agreement. Is that kind of what you were thinking? Yeah, is, is that why? Absolutely. So essentially you've got, you know, if you, if you decide to buy a new kit, you've got a warranty for three years or a certain amount of mileage. You've got um, a maintenance contract potentially for the same period of time, so so your cash reserves needing to maintain that vehicle. Of course, you may have something that the driver damages, um, but then you've got insurance for that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I suppose sort of the more I think about it, I come across you know a lot of insurances now are. Um, uh, I don't know if people are aware of this, but they've often got a, a misfueling um, 
uh, a misfueling, what's the right term? Clause, yeah. yeah, a clause. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. essentially, they won't pay out for misfueling. Now, if a driver decides to put uh, a tank full of AdBlue in the fuel, yeah. uh, that's going to cause you some serious fucking problems yeah, yeah, um, yeah. when it comes to uh, the fuel system on that vehicle. And I'm hearing of, you know, 10 grand plus of repairs because you've got yeah. to replace all the fuel system on the vehicles. So I suppose you have the potential for something ridiculous like that to happen. Uh, in which case you'd need to then foot the bill regardless of warranty, regardless of uh, maintenance, regardless of insurance. Um, but, but yeah, nonetheless, I, mean, I think I, that, you know, I just think, I, I just think it's, it's maybe it hasn't, it, it's tricky, it hasn't really caught up with, or rather technology is overtook on the way we do things is overtook um, the, the, the law, the legal side of it. I suppose the traffic commission is concerned about your uh, ability to maintain a vehicle, not necessarily in a mechanically sound condition, uh, though that obviously helps, otherwise <laughs> it's going nowhere, uh, would, would be in, in terms of the safety critical stuff like brakes, steering, you know, and, tires, and then I think, wheels. I think the other challenge, the other challenge I've got is the big giant companies the, who have got financial challenges. So, for example, your uh, Eddie Stobarts or what have you have had their fair share of challenges and have run thousands of vehicles. Have they got that level of cash in the bank? Uh, it, makes you, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Because um, they can't. Because they can't. No, I mean, if they are, and you know, and that's the other strange thing, isn't it? Because if you were, um, you know, a financial director and the business had that amount of cash, uh, you know, in, in its working capital, you. You're going to be asking why, yeah, <laughs> why, what, what, you know, what's that cash doing sat there um, when we could be using that? That could be, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, the mind boggles, um, ha, you know, how I, I was, you know, it's no different. I mean, those of you who follow the podcast will know that I used to work for a local authority. Uh, you know, done other things as well, but um, I have worked for a local authority, and of course, you know, applying for an operator's license, we, uh, although it, albeit a restricted license. Uh, you know, we were no different. We had to supply evidence of financial standing. And I remember speaking to the caseworker and saying, I didn't know how to do it because it was a, you know, and I went to the, I went to the, uh, the account, you know, the, the accounts, huge, you know, took, took a whole floor of the council building. I went to the accounts people up there and I said, look, I need to prove this uh, financial standing evidence. And I said, normally on a, from a business point of view, it would be the working capital. So I need to, a copy of the balance sheet and they said, well, we don't really have that kind of thing for, a, we're a local authority, you know. Um, so I went back to the casework and it, it ended up, I said, look, I, I said their financial statement that they produce every year, which is a publicly accessible document, anybody can see it. I said, it's uh, it's 194 pages long. Do you still want me to send you it? And they said, oh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's not just uh, companies that have to prove their financial standing. It's it's uh, it's government as well. So um, you'd have thought they just took our word for it, but no, no such <laughs> no, no such luck. You know, no, they were absolutely. they were all over it. So absolutely, yeah. So um, there you there you have it. Really, I don't really know sort of what else we can uh, say really. But I think um, I think on the one hand, the financial standing is it's, it's a double edged sword. On the one hand, we want to prohibit the wrong people from being able to access operators licenses and running vehicles yeah people should have the right level of cash it's freezing in here isn't it i'm going to turn that off um sorry the aircon's going and mike and i've got aircon was i can actually see <laughs> yeah. i think he's physically shivering uh so apologies, we were mate. too hot earlier yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind <laughs> of famine or feast isn't it yeah um but yeah i you know 
I think we want to prohibit the wrong people, not the wrong people, but we want to ensure there is a barrier to barrier, entry. Yeah, There's yeah. got to be a barrier to yeah. entry for but, people to ensure that road safety is maintained. Yeah, that, but, that, that, that's if you think about what that the traffic commissioner's job is is exactly that, isn't it? To to their their job is to is to protect members of the public from the acts or emissions of of uh, road transport operators. So and and to secure road safety. So the way they assured of doing that is by making sure that people in the business in the industry um, can afford to maintain their vehicles. But so I'm glad we've chewed the fat out of it mm. because do you know what I started off the podcast thinking what an old system that's not required. I don't think it's fair on uh, standard operators. And do you know what? I've done a full U-turn and gone, do you know what? Damn right with a financial You'll get a job in the government, all right, if you carry know, on. Yeah. Right? Just call me Liz Truss and put yeah, me in a you, penny. Yeah. What, mini skirt or a, or a mini car? I don't know, that was massively sexist. I think we're going to need to cut well, that. Yeah, cut that I don't one. know what I'm talking about, do I? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but there's yeah, no, look, massive, there's another U-turn anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got to be careful what I say, haven't I? Uh, yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. See you on the next one. See you on the next one. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please share with your friends and colleagues too. Join us for free on Facebook with the Fleet Geeks community for transport and fleet managers. Fleet Geeks offers ongoing professional development, networking and mentoring too. So get in touch with me, Pete Rushmer, on any social media platform to find out more.